talking about this. Uh, by the way, if you have not met me, my name is Justin. I'm the pastor here. Uh, come say hi to me after service. I would love to greet you, uh, meet you, whatever it is. Uh, just welcome you to our church. Uh, I-, I love meeting new people that come and worship with us on Sundays. Uh, and we, you're coming in on the tail end of our message. So we finished our series today on mission. And we've been going through the series all summer just talking about the mission of the church. You know, when people ask, what is the mission statement of the church or what is the vision of the church? Uh, it's, it's funny that we come up with all of these uh, the smart sentences when really Jesus just made it clear what we're supposed to do. Uh, and so the mission that Jesus gave the church is the mission that our church has, uh, which is to reach the lost, make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And who is here for Baptism Sunday last week? Wasn't that amazing? That was one of the most incredible services uh, that we've had, maybe the, the most incredible one, because we've been learning about this all summer, and just to see it in action was a lot of fun. It was incredibly amazing, and we got to welcome over 20 people to our family last week, which was just amazing. Uh, so, and next week, before we start our next series, I'm really excited. My dad is going to come preach. Uh, it's the first time that he'll be preaching at Zion. Uh, and, you know, my fa- I'm a PK. I'm a pastor's kid. I survived. Uh, my parents did something right. Uh, <laughs> and so I've been kind of, me and my dad been trying to get our calendars and sing for him to be able to come. And I'm really excited. He'll be preaching next week before we jump into a new series. Uh, which uh, is, uh, I'll wait, you'll see it on social or through email. Very excited about it. But before we get there, come on, we still got one week left. And I am excited. Today's message is called Go With Boldness. Go With Boldness. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. I remembered to put my verses uh, in the screen today so you can actually read along with me. Uh, But we'll be going with verse by verse. So we're not going to read the entire passage to begin with. We're just going to go verse by verse and go through it. Uh, This is in the very beginning of the church, the very beginning uh, of Acts. And we read two weeks ago about how Jesus promised persecution. To his disciples, he said, when this happens, he didn't say if it happens or maybe this was happened. He said, when this happens, and he motivated them. He said, do not have fear of man. Do not fear people that can kill the body. Do not fear other things, but know who you serve when it happens. Remember what I am telling you. Remember that you will spend eternity in heaven with me and that when you proclaim my name in front of people, I will proclaim your name in front of the Father. God when you stand before him in judgment. And so the disciples get persecuted, right? Big, uh, big surprise. Jesus told them it was going to happen. Peter and uh, John, actually, they get persecuted for a strange thing. They are walking to the temple and they see a, a lame beggar who had been there since birth. Everybody knew him. 
they, the beggar asks for silver and gold, and they, they say, listen, we don't have silver and gold, but we have something else we're going to give you. We're going to give you the power of God, salvation. And so uh, they say, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. The guy jumps up, walks, and then everybody comes around and says, what just happened? We all know this guy. We come every day to the temple, and we see that he is lame, and now he is walking before us. So they naturally are asking questions, and Peter gets up, and he preaches a sermon. He preaches a sermon. The Pharisees get really upset, the religious rulers. So they take them and put them in jail overnight and then threaten them and keep on threatening them. And so after they release them, they realize like, man, if if we beat these guys and if we kill them, the crowd is going to be very upset because they just witnessed an amazing miracle. And so the people will not allow us to do this. So they release them right after they are released. This is where we pick up in Acts chapter 4, verse 23. It says, When they released Peter and John, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So they get released and they go back to the church. We don't know if this is the large church, which is a few thousand people at this point, or if it's just... Uh, uh, you know, a house gathering with some friends. But nonetheless, they go back to some friends and they report what the chief priests and the elders said to them. So, you know, they tell them the story. You ever, something happens to you, what do you do? You call your friends, you go home, you tell the story. They're like, yo, crazy story. We were imprisoned. Like, this guy gets healed, and what do they do? They throw us in prison, and they told us we can't preach about Jesus anymore. So like, well, what'd you say? What'd you say? And what they said was that if they did, they basically threatened us, said that they were going to kill us. They were going to beat us. They were going to put us in prison. But we told them that we can't. We can't listen to what they said because we have to listen to what God told us to do. So they get threatened again and then they get sent away. And this is the story that Peter and John tell the other disciples at this point. And so they have a natural reaction to these threats is, well, you know, what happens when people threaten you? They call their lawyer, you know, they, they, they gear up on a defamation suit. You know, Peter starts tweeting away these dumb Pharisees. What do they think they're doing? You know, let's, let's hashtag boycott Pharisees, hashtag boycott the temple. They start a movement. They get all the other disciples to start retweeting them, commenting. They, they put angry emojis on Facebook as much as possible. They get memes going, you know, take bad pictures of them and then meme all of them and plot. No. What do they do to these threats? Thank you. It says in verse 24, it says, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, sovereign Lord. Who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. We're going to stop right there. They begin to pray. That's right. They they don't get angry. They don't start lashing out. They don't start a, a boycott. They don't hashtag these guys. What do they do? They begin to pray to who? The sovereign Lord. First, we need to know in the midst of persecution and witness... Who we are praying to. 
If we are doing the work of God, guess what? There are going to be obstacles that come in our way. There are going to be people. There are going to be enemies. What does scripture say? That we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. There will be forces that try to stop us. And they will use people. They will use things. They will use situations to stop us. And we have an option at that point. We can be sad. We can give up. We can say that this is too hard. Or we can get on our knees and begin to pray. And we can remember who we are praying to. Who escapes the gaze of God? No one. Who catches him off guard? No one. What do they pray? They pray to the sovereign Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Do you know that we still have not explored the depths of the sea? How vast it is. They are still finding creatures in the sea. I read articles every couple of months. 200 species discovered because they found a cove that they never saw before. It's wild. But the disciples, when they meet persecution, when they meet pushback, they start this prayer quoting Psalm 146, verse 6, which is exactly what they pray, Sovereign Lord. You know, we have to remember... Who our God is. Jesus, when he taught the disciples how to pray, how did he tell them to start off to pray? He said to start off your prayer like this. Hallowed be thy name. Praise be unto your name. Remember who God is. Sovereign God, creator of the heavens and the earth. Yes. Because it's really easy to forget about who we serve when people in our life come against what God has called us to do. It's really easy at that point in our life to say, you know what? God, I thought you were in this, but man, this would be going a lot easier. Where's this door that I'm supposed to be walking through that everybody talks about? God, opening doors for me. Where's this open door that's going to be easy for me to walk through? Well, I guess you're not in this because I don't have peace because I don't feel a sense of comfort in this. Maybe you're not in this. No. They pray to the God who knew what was going to happen. They pray to the sovereign one, which means he has everything in his hands. They pray to the God who created the heavens and the earth, who is not caught off guard by their situation. And they remind themselves that in the midst of this persecution that is about to get set off to be a persecution that has lasted to this day, in the midst of the threats that they received... That they are praying to the sovereign God who knows all and created all. And they continue this prayer. It says in verse 25. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. And begin to quote Psalm again. Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. 
So they give some history in this prayer. They begin to talk about what has happened in their prayer to God. They quote the beginning of Psalm 2, which is a messianic prophecy from uh, David in the Psalms. And they say, here we are in this city that you were killed in Jerusalem. Where the rulers came, the Gentiles came, and Israel came. And all of them together plotted together to kill you. And that was a part of your plan. Right? We are in this city where everybody came together and they killed you. They're reminding themselves of something here. And then after what they say, that what they say... But whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So, God, you were the one behind the killing of Jesus. And so they are saying, what we do now, you have predestined sovereign Lord for us to do. That you have created this to happen, creator of all. We are about to experience crazy persecution because we won't listen to what they tell us to do. But we know this one fact that they gathered against Jesus. And they killed Jesus. And that was part of your plan. So what do they pray for? If they knew that that was part of God's plan. Right? I I just heard Drake in my head right now. They didn't pray for God to stop the persecution. And they didn't pray for their persecutors to be destroyed. They follow the example of Jesus, who when being persecuted and about to die, what do you say? God forgive them for they know not what they do, right? Today it's really easy. Again, we look at this, all right, fine. We're going to go home and we're going to pray. And we're going to pray, God, curse them. Thank you very much. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody that stands against me, they are underneath my feet. Satan, you are the snake and I will crush your head. But they pray, they pray to the sovereign God who has created everything, who knows all, and that predestined for his only son to be killed and everybody plot against him and to persecute him. And so that changes how they think maybe we ought to pray about something differently than what our human inclinations will have us pray for. And they say in in verse 29, and, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. What do they pray for? They don't pray for their persecutors to die. They don't pray for their persecutors to stop. They don't pray for it to become more easy. They don't pray to make it make it a happy thing for them. But they pray that God, as the persecution comes, God, as the persecutors come, I pray that we will have boldness in the midst of persecution. They don't pray for it to stop. They don't pray for it to not happen. They know what happened to Jesus, and they know what Jesus promised would happen to them. So instead, they pray for boldness. 
Man, I can tell you, paired up to the disciples, I'm a wimp. Because when people start coming after me, when I start witnessing to somebody, I am praying, God, help me have courage right now to continue to speak your word. I'm thinking, I'll probably just go preach somewhere else. I'll just like try it on somebody else. You know, like, let's just let's go to another neighborhood or another spot where they're not so mean and they're not so angry. And let's just let's try it again. Let's let's round two guys fight. You know, let's see what happens. But the, the disciples aren't praying, hey, God, change our call, you know, change, where you're, change our location, you know, God, change, change where we are, God. Here, and here's a thought. Because maybe when we're praying against persecution, we're praying against the will of God. Maybe what we should actually be praying for is what the disciples pray, is boldness in the midst of persecution. Maybe it's actually part of God's plan that the church be persecuted. If we listen to what Jesus said, if we listen to how the disciples prayed, they obviously thought so. They said, God, we know what you planned for Jesus. They aren't quite sure what they planned for them, but what God planned for them, but they knew that persecution was in their future. So instead of praying, God, give us our American comforts back. Please change their hearts so that we can be friends and they can stop doing this. What do they pray? They pray, God, give us boldness. I'm telling you, that is a very different prayer than what our natural human nature will pray. That is a very different prayer than I will pray when somebody comes at me. I'm saying, like, get behind me, Satan. You know, like, I'm throwing that one out there. I'm praying what they call the imprecatory prayers in the Psalms, which is curse unto you that my enemies be destroyed and be defeated before me. That's, that's my prayers, but my natural inclination is not, God, when this happens, give me the courage to continue to witness, even though I know that their threats are going to come true. Even though I know this is going to lead me into a harder life. Even though I know that this is going to make me lose some things that I find close comforts in my soul. Amen. An easier way of thinking about it is, let's stop praying God, make the mission easy for me. And let's start praying, God, give me boldness to persevere in the mission. If we begin to pray, God, make this easy for me, like make our our schedules align and just, you know, make them like me or please make it stop. We've given in to the Western mentality of the pursuit of happiness being the above all instead of the mission of Jesus, which is to give all. 
And what we need to do is begin to realign our prayers and stop saying, God, please, I, I just, I, I want to be on mission, but can I get it in on Tuesday at 7 p.m.? <laughs> Look at my calendar. We really need to begin to look at our prayers and ask ourselves, are we praying for it to be easy or are we praying to have courage? Because praying to have courage is a lot different than praying for it to be easy because it doesn't matter how hard it is. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter if the prophecy of Jesus comes true that when we are persecuted, but we will say in the midst of that God that I would not be a coward and I would open up my mouth. Father, when I know that the reaction is not going to be good, that when the threats are true, that this person will no longer like me, or when, when I may lose something close to me, or you know what? It may just be as simple as, I'm not going to be comfortable doing this, but God, give me courage. You know, it's, I'm telling you, it, we are, we, we like personal boundaries and personal space, so personally, I hate doing sales, right? I, I think I, I own a business, so I've had to do sales, but I think sales is like the worst thing in the world because why do I don't want to go up to somebody and try to sell them on something that they possibly don't need, right? And, and, and it's, you know, when you have a, if anybody is cold called or if your job is cold calling that, I'm going to pray for you for it <laughs> because I have done that and I... For me, that and being a, a busboy are like the two worst. If you, Justin's hell is cold calling while busing for the rest of his life. Like that is, that is my hell. Right? And, you know, if you've ever done any type of evangelism, it, it just, it, it's hard. You just, you have to come to grips with how much of a coward you are. Maybe I'm just preaching to myself right now. <laughs> Maybe I'm the only coward in here that when I go up to somebody and be like, hey, I'm about to tell them about Jesus. What if they just think I'm an idiot? Like they think I'm crazy. What if they just say, no, what if, what if they, I mean, honestly, we make it way too much in our heads. Like what is the worst that they can, maybe they spit on you in America, you know, like that's probably the worst that can happen. But yet we are so fearful to open up our mouths and... I have been there a million times. God, just, just give me a door so that this is easy. Like, make somebody say something so that this is easy for me to start. The, God, please, just, I'm, just, I'm just waiting for, you know, for the red moon on the thousandth year, for the eclipse of Mars and the sun. And when they walk by me on my window and they look at me and we make eye contact, then I will know. You know, that, that's my coward prayer for evangelism. But instead, if we ask God, God, give me boldness. God, make me courageous so that in the midst of my own fear, that your Holy Spirit would fill me with courage and with boldness. The disciples knew what was about to come, an avalanche of persecution that would continue for thousands of years, but particularly for the next 250 years, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Christians in the early church would die because of the decision that they were making in this moment not to pray against their persecutors, but to pray for boldness. This is how the church grows. 
The church historically has grown when they have been persecuted and in the midst of persecution did not give way to the state or to the authorities or to the people around them and shut their mouths, but instead asked God to be courageous in the midst of that persecution and open up their mouths instead. Because the disciples prayed this prayer in this moment, me and you are here today. It is mind-blowing to me that they did not pray for victory over their persecutor and that they did not pray for it to be easy. They prayed that their spirit wouldn't break. They prayed, God, let us not crack under the pressure of what is about to happen. But instead, fill us with your boldness. In verse 30, their prayer continues. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through your name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they pray for boldness and they ask God while you're doing this. They pray for God to heal. They pray for signs and wonders. And you ask why? So that they could have a good healing service? No. You know, any time I hear about healing and signs and wonders is so that we can have usually a good midweek service or a good Sunday healing service. But why did the disciples pray for this? Because when you see God heal people all throughout Acts, what happens is it makes way for opportunity for people to witness about God. That when God performs signs and wonders, which is Devils come out of people or they, they see incredible things happen like Paul bitten by a poisonous snake and not dying. Those kind of signs and wonders. What happens? It gives way for witness. So sometimes I ask myself, God, why do I want to see people get healed so that I can live more comfortable in my health and in my life or so that I can proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because if we look at the prayers of the disciples in Acts, they pray for this constantly so that they can witness the good news of Jesus Christ. Because why? In the very beginning, we talked about this. He proclaimed what? That he would bring healing to the sick. Because that was part of the good news of the gospel. That when we see people healed, when we see signs and wonders, and when we see the people who are captive, liberated, that the good news is present in that. And so they ask God to give them these tools, not so that they can be cool, not so that they can be powerful, but so that it can be a tool for the proclamation of the good news outside of the church. What happens after they pray in verse 31, it says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I love this because there is immediate answer to their prayer. And when they had prayed, the place that they had gathered together was shaken. There is no time lapse in me. They are in the midst of their prayer and God answers their prayer by physically shaking the place that they are. And they are filled with the Holy Spirit. This is another one that I think, God, man, we've gotten this completely wrong that we, we get filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can 
experience good times of pleasure with God. But we see constantly through Acts that the, the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit and they proclaim with boldness. They are filled with the Holy Spirit and they proclaim with boldness. They are filled with the Holy Spirit and they proclaim with boldness. God, I want to be filled with your spirit, not so that I can feel good on a Sunday morning, but so that I can go out and proclaim your word with boldness. Father, I don't want to just be filled with your spirit so that I can feel good today. But Father, I pray that you change my prayer life so that when I'm asking you for your infilling, I stop thinking about myself and I start thinking about the others that you want me to preach to. That when I speak, that I'm not speaking from someplace in my soul and in my power, but I'm speaking of the overflow of your filling of your spirit in my life. We need to make sure that we remember to make the church's mission a part of our regular routine. Whether in prayer, whether in asking God for filling, whether asking him for his power to be at work, ask ourselves, why are we asking for this? Is it for the mission? Is it for God to be at work so that people come to know him? Or is it so that I can live a easier, more comfortable life. Romans 10 says this about the mission, verses 14 to 15. Paul says, And when they will call, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I love that line. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those. I just, whenever I've I've been meditating on that line this past week, and every time I read it, even now, I just sense the joy of the Holy Spirit. The pleasure of God. How beautiful are the feet. Of those who preach the good news. Some of you have ugly feet and you've been asking God, how can I make these pretty? (laughs) Answer to prayer right here. Start preaching the gospel, those things will pretty up real fast. That's motivation for a lot of you to start preaching right away. Forget about everything else I just said. But Paul says here, how are people going to know? Let's be real. (laughs) Y'all ain't over that one. It's okay. (laughs) Paul says, how are they going to find out about Jesus? Do you understand the high calling that we have to proclaim the good news? Do you understand that nothing is more beautiful, nothing is more sweet, nothing endures more celebration in heaven than the preaching and the accepting of the good news of Jesus Christ? Paul says this a couple of verses later. He says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 
You know, usually when I think about this verse or I hear this verse talked about, I think of faith for a new job, faith, you know, for healing, faith for a sign and wonder, faith for a particular circumstance to change. But the word faith throughout all of Romans has a very different context. And this is faith for belief in Jesus Christ. People must literally hear us speak the good news. Because their faith for Jesus will come through the proclamation of the good news. This is a fact. This is a promise. This is the truth. I think what we can't say is that I was just, I, was, I acted nice to them, I loved them, and I, those are godly things, and we need to do that. That is part of us living out our faith in Jesus. But we cannot stop before we open our mouth and say that we've done our job. We have to have the clarity that scripture gives us and is very clear this. How do people have faith in Jesus? Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We must open our mouths and we must open our mouths with boldness. And if we cannot do that, if we think, man, I cannot do that. I I think of my work situations or I think of my family situations or I think of the situations in my neighborhood or on my block. And every time I freeze up and it's just I can't imagine myself opening my mouth in those situations, then do what the disciples did. They opened up their mouths to God first and they said, sovereign Lord, Lord, you know what is going to happen when I talk to my neighbor. Lord, you know what's going to happen when I share with my coworker. Lord, you know what's going to happen when I share it with my family. In fact, Lord, you may have preordained for this to be hard for me. We know you did that with Jesus and we are not greater than him, so I cannot rule out that happening with me. And so, Father, I pray that you fill me with your spirit. That I would have boldness when I open my mouth. That I would not be a coward. That I would not keep my mouth shut. But I would remember that faith comes from hearing and hearing of the word of God. That Paul said, how are people going to know? How are people going to hear? How will people come to know Jesus unless we go and proclaim the good news to stir up faith for belief in them? I cannot emphasize this enough. We must be a church that opens our mouth. You know, I think there is doctrine that has been going around, although helpful because we as a church need to learn to love our neighbor better which says all we have to do is love them and that is good enough for preaching the gospel, I wholeheartedly believe that is wrong and false. That scripture is clear. We must be a people who open up our mouth. Our actions may soften them and may prepare the soil for it. Our actions will make them intrigued and want them to know what is different about our community when they see us as a city on a hill as salt on the earth when they see love and camaraderie and unity as scripture says will be a testimony to the world that will prepare the hearts and the soil but we must 
plant the seed of the gospel by opening our mouth with boldness. And boldness does not mean that you need to shout at them, that you need to come at them like, yo, you need this right now. Boldness is in that quiet moment when somebody is sharing something in their life and you have the opportunity to share about how God has worked in that same exact situation in your life. And it is opening your mouth. And it is saying, instead of, you know what, I went through that similar thing, you're gonna get, you're gonna get on the other side. Instead of giving an empty platitude, saying, you know what, I went through that, and the only thing that sustained me was the faithfulness of God. That is boldness. To put yourself out there on the line, especially in a world today that you just may be ridiculed or mocked. But we learned last week what? That the harvest is ripe. It is ripe. The Holy Spirit is at work. And it is the biggest lie of the enemy to make us believe that the Holy Spirit is not at work today. But we understand that the, Holy, that the harvest is ripe and that the Holy Spirit will fill us with boldness. We can go out and begin to proclaim so that people will have faith unto witness. Let us walk into every situation with confidence in Jesus Christ. Not with the fear of man. That in our life, we are ready to proclaim the good news of the gospel. That is, as Romans says, is the power unto salvation for all who believe. As we end this series, this shouldn't be just a series that we've heard, that we've listened to, and that we moved on from. You know, this hashtag on mission, I'm, I'm keeping it forever. Because I want us as a church to remember our mission. This is not something that comes and goes in a season. This is something that happens forever. And what I hope is that we've laid another brick in our foundation as a church. That this is part of our foundation. This is part of who we are at Zion. This is part of what we will be known for. This is part of of the people that we are, that we are always on mission, no matter what we're learning about on Sunday, no matter what we're reading about in our Bible studies, no matter what we're having fun about in our dinner parties, that we remember as a church that we are always to be on mission. That it's going to be hard, that there are times when people and things and principalities and powers will come against us. And in those times, we will not pray, God, make this easier, but we will pray, God, fill us with your spirit that we would have courage and boldness to continue the work of the ministry, to continue to proclaim the good news that is the power unto salvation for all who believe. Will we as a church remember that? That is the question that I pose at the end of this. And if you're thinking, uh, what next steps can I have? There are a lot of next steps. We read one here about prayer, but something that is very tangible that we can do is join the training that we're going to be starting next week. We have an evangelism outreach training called Multiply. How do we begin to live a life that is geared towards preaching about the good news, that is geared towards outreach. And this this training is only going to be four weeks, 
So, you know, calm down if you're thinking, like, I need to commit to something really long. It's right after church. We're going to be providing pizza. So we will feed you. Because in this church, we believe in food. There's the power of the gospel and the power of food. Jesus always did things over meals. Anyway, side note. John, are you here? Malone? John Malone in the back. Everybody look at John back there. So John is going to be leading this class. And so at the end of service, John, if you can just be standing right outside the doors. Uh, He has a sign-up sheet and he will be taking people's names and information. Uh, He is an expert in short-term missions and building sustainable outreach in your life. This is what he does as a full-time job. Uh, He is a full-time missionary who lives in Bay Ridge with 10 other missionaries. It's incredible. And so me and John have been talking for a few months now, and we are partnering to provide this training for the church so that we can learn, how do I go get coffee from Cocoa Grinder or Coffee RX or my local shop and preach the gospel? How do I go to my family barbecue in the summer and not have everybody hate me about politics, but instead have good conversations around the gospel? How do I go to work and not add my own stumbling blocks of being a weirdo and just doing it in a, in a weird way, but instead, bless you, Tiffany, but instead being able to preach the good news of God in a way that other people can understand and hear. I encourage you. See John after we start next week, four weeks, right after service, meeting in the classroom, across the hall, uh, and you will have the tools that you need to live out being on mission in your life. And I'm very excited about that because that can completely help change the culture of our church. Where I feel like last week we got a taste, seeing 20 people baptized, and I just kept praying, God, I I pray that that is not an anomaly. But that becomes part of our culture, that we are a witnessing community here in Bay Ridge. Can you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we ask right now that you fill us. That you fill us with your spirit so that we can go out in boldness as a church. I pray that this would not just be a series that we had in the summer of 2018, but that this would truly become our mission as a church. That this would be a brick in our foundation that lives with us daily. That when we wake up, we would remember the lost sheep. That we would remember the celebration and that we would remember to ask for filling unto boldness. And that we would be people that live out being witnessing communities, preaching the gospel, to see people saved by its power. Lord, that we would not look for the easy way out, but that we would pray to the sovereign God, creator of heaven and earth, of the seas and everything in them, to give us boldness to witness. In Jesus' name we pray.